In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles. I am Ron Kolig, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me all the way from across the pond, the ghost finder general himself, the most haunted Richard Felix. Good evening. How are you doing? Good. How are you today, Richard? I'm very well, thank you, sir. How's your finger? Uh, you know, I pulled out the stitches today, so it's it's as good as it's going to get. But did you honestly have to have stitches? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They tried for three hours. They tried putting them in, and they would put them in, take them out, put them in, take them out. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant sight. So uh, yeah, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I mean, I wasn't sure. You know, I mean, I didn't realize it was that bad. You were very oh, good. Yeah. Ed, that's a medal for you, sir, for, for for carrying on throughout the show last week. There you go. There you go. So well, I actually. I pulled my own stitches out today, so how no, cool is that? No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Why? Why didn't you go back to the hospital? Save myself a buck. <laughs> oh, my God. I suppose, yeah. At least you know when it hurts when you're pulling, don't you? Yeah, it, it was actually, I mean, trust me, if it was going to hurt, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I cut fingers off before, so what the hell? We know. I know all about that, so no, yeah. no, no. Anyway, what have you got to tell me? Anything exciting? Well, uh, no, I want to actually hear from you that um, you went to the place where the Light Brigade... Go ahead. Tell me about this. Oh, boy. I tell you what, I had an absolute ball on Saturday night. Uh, the, the, the place is called, would you believe, Cannon Hall, which is rather a place. nothing to do with it. And it's, um, it's an old... It's a Georgian house. It's, there's been a house on the site since 10... 86. That's a long time ago, guys. And it, it's, it's haunted. It, but I tell you what, the, the fascinating thing about it, there's only one other place in the United Kingdom that I know of that I was, I believed in so much because they've got so many stories from the members of staff that are actually working there now, Ron. You, really? you understand where I'm coming? Not, not, not so much old stories that have been passed down, Chinese whispers, uh, bits <laughs> out of old books. I'm talking about accounts from the guys that were there with me on Saturday night. Really? Um, they're, 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 they're down to earth. They're, they're, they're people that don't believe in this, and yet they've experienced things. They've seen things. Um, it, it, was, it was really very good. Um, there was a guy's um, a pair of legs that uh, one of the guys that was there with me on, on, on Saturday night, one of the staff, he actually saw these 
these legs going up the the spiral staircase into the into the servants' hall. There's a lovely lady there that's been there for many, many years, a member of staff, and and she's seen a, a soldier standing by the fireplace in the great hall, um, wearing you know I expected her to say sort of old-fashioned uniform. So no no no, I think it was more like RAF uniform. Um, really? Blue RAF blue, uh, standing by the 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 fireplace as large as life and then just disappeared in front of her she said i I still don't know what i saw because i don't believe in ghosts well i mean mean, it's just amazing i mean you were lucky because you you know you were so that that whole charge of late brigade is so dear to you near and dear to you so i mean you were really like but uh we actually have our guest on the line so why don't we uh get to him and we'll talk about this a little bit later at the end of the show if it's okay with let's you. do it because paul may well be able to throw a bit of light on it as well you never know right and without further ado why don't we introduce the uh to our audience uh he's an international psychic medium mr paul cassell i think his name you know how i butcher him paul you there i'm i'm here ron how are you good is cassell right or, or am i it's, mispre- it's, 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 it's paul cassell Oh, Cicel. You know, it, yeah. It, everyone pronounces it slightly differently. Well, well you no know, one pronounces it, right. it like Ron Kolek does, my friend. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you kill me. <laughs> How are you, sir? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Got a bit of a sore throat, a bit of a cold, a bit aching, a bit shivery. So. Oh, it's not hay fever, is it? <laughs> uh, no. I thought it was hay fever yesterday, but it's, it's turned into a little bit more than that. So. Oh dear. You should be wrapped up in bed. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a nice comfy chair at the moment in the warm, so... You no, got a little glass of red with you or, or, or a pint of the uh, fine? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be asleep by the end of the show, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, Paul, I, I've got to ask you this, and Richard, too, I mean... Uh, I recently listened to another uh, podcast from the UK, and this was uh, a couple of well-known U- UK guys. And it just amazes me that how um, how they poo-poo everything. I-, I don't understand it with the Brits. Why they they you know? There's an old Polish saying that. And uh, a mind is like a parachute. In order to work, it has to be open. But these. It, they seem so narrow-minded, like, you, you know, it's not like, oh, let's experiment with this. Or maybe there is something to it. It's all like, no, no, this doesn't work. No, 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 this doesn't work. No, that's all hogwash, you know, all poppycock or whatever. I, I don't understand that. And yet, and even psychics like yourself, I mean, you're looked down on in a lot of circumstances in the U.K., aren't you? Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I think when sometimes people are afraid to get off the fence. Yeah. They like to sit on the fence a little bit, and perhaps maybe you're afraid to kind of express their own opinions. Um, you know, you know, you know what we're, we are—race of human beings—and um, some people lead, some people are sheep. The majority of people are sheep. Mm-hmm. I'm not—I'm uh, not making a reference to the people that are on the show, because obviously I don't hear it. But I'm just trying to sort of perhaps say perhaps why you know sometimes people don't always express what they'd like to express. You're right. You're so right, Paul. Uh, um, and uh, of course, we Brits um, are, are more like we. Oh, Americans are much more. You know, you, you're as I was saying last week, Ron. Really, you're open to it. You're 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 prepared to accept things that that for some reason you're absolutely right. Oh, no such thing. Absolute load of rubbish. Uh, poo poo it, as you say. Um, and yet, the silly part about it is that it, that that we've we've lived with it 
for an awful lot longer than you have. I wonder if that's something to do with it, Paul, the fact that we, we've, we've been talking ghosts for probably 2,000 years. And, uh, and so <laughs> it's a bit like uh, basically um, Alice Castles and everything Richard, else. We've got so much gonna, of them. I, sorry, I think you've got a very strong point there. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of base this on my development classes. I've got one class that is an advanced class, and some of those students have been with me for, you know, three to five years. And I've got a beginners class. The beginners class is totally open to it, really enthusiastic, really eager to learn, and they really push themselves, and they come out with some great stuff that even surprises me. And yet the advanced class, who you would have thought should take to this like a duck to water, yeah. actually are, sometimes they stagnate, sometimes it's like pulling teeth with them, you know, they're going backwards rather than going forward, sometimes they lose their confidence. So I, I'm, the analogy I'm making here is between, you know, the UK and America, is mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe once you're kind of involved in all of this, it becomes second nature, you get complacent to it, you get lazy. I don't know. And um, maybe, you know, America being the newer culture to all of this is more open-minded and enthusiastic. I'm just following, just, I'm just going, judging by my develop, two, two different development groups and, you know, the conversation, it's just like, actually, yeah, that sounds like my two development groups. Well, 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 Paul, I, I, uh, about four or five years back, I had a, uh, a British uh, psychic medium over here and he told me that you guys can't do galleries in the UK or something without uh, disclaimers or something, and and I, and I don't understand this. Uh, is it? Are you guys looked upon as uh, what's no. the word? What it, is it? It, it comes under the fraudulent in this country it comes under the fraudulent mediums act. Right. Um, and that in the last few years has been revised. Um, and since it's been revised, it's put a lot of restrictions on practicing medium psychics, but across the fields, not just mediums and psychics. And I guess in a way it's made a lot of people very nervous to openly express their views um, because it makes it a lot easier now for people to perhaps sue them or to make a, a claim against them as being fraudulent than it used to be. Huh. But so I mean, how can anybody, Paul? How can anybody sue anybody? Because you, nobody can prove one way or the other um, whether you're talking to a dead person or not. Um, there, there is, as I say every every night and every talk I do, there is no proof whatsoever. Um, yeah. You know there's something in it. I know there's something in it. Ron does. Most of the guys that are probably listening to us also know there's something in it. But there ain't. No proof. Um, yeah. I suppose, to a certain extent, that this fraudulent medium act go, takes it a stage farther than if I was, if I happened, or say you, you're, you, you are a medium and you, you, you told me openly on the radio that next week I was going to buy myself a blue um, Pontiac, uh, registration number so-and-so, 1978, and I didn't do it, then that, I suppose, is provable. But that's a different side of mediumship anyway, isn't it? Because that's the future. Absolutely. Yeah, but I think that's where it kind of comes from is these predictive um, messages of, you know, where people have said you are going to happen. This is going to happen to you. And 
you know, maybe it doesn't happen to the person. Well, you know, maybe guess... the person is told they're going to win the lottery and they yeah. never do. Yeah, I mean, let's let, just just to give you a, a, an example. I mean, there's there's this uh, uh, preacher we had in the U.S. He's a he's a radio preacher, and he told us that the world was going to end. And, right, and and of course it didn't. But the rapture was coming and all that. But there was a gentleman in in New York. And he spent his entire life savings, $140,000, printing up hand things and buying billboards and everything else. And he lost all of his money on the, because he listened to this guy. So, I mean, you can understand that, right, as far as that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, you put your faith, your trust into somebody, and you hope that their philosophies um, – are going to take you in a direction, and if they don't, then you know you you come down with a great big fall. Mm-hmm. I presume, Paul, that that had this guy have said this in in England, then he could have been sued for it. Possibly, yes, but it, I don't know. It, I don't know America it, it, that well, but I thought that perhaps it would have been easier to have sued him in America. I don't know. No, no, no. Because first of all, he was a, he was a man of the cloth, and and certainly you can't sue the church and and America. Oh, not get away with it anyways. Not get away with it anyways. You get away with a lot. <laughs> I mean I mean you look at I mean we have of course we have that huge scandal with the uh with some of the priests and and of course the they have lawyers and stuff, but it's always settled out of court, so I mean it's really yes, of course. It, yeah. it really never but I don't but know. It's it, it's it's weird. Listen, while we're on this subject, now now mm-hmm. I'm going to get to grips with with Paul on this one now because good, you see, good, good. this is where this is where the, the, this medium side of it falls down for me. Often, I still don't understand what telling the future has got to do with mediumship, with talking to the spirit and soul of a dead person. That uh, you know, I, I don't understand. Oh, doesn't it depend what the person tells him? Paul, yeah, well, Paul, you, Paul, you answer that. That was directed at you. It was. Yeah, I mean, the um, I mean, a medium in the first instance is somebody who is in contact with a spiritual plane, and the medium. And this is what I always tell my students: before you can say that you're a medium, I want to see you giving factual evidence so i just don't want to see you saying i've got a lovely lady here and she says i want to know about the lady i want to know you know is it you know your mom is it um you know is it on the mum's side the dad's side is it brother uncle aunt great aunt cousin friend whoever i want to know about the person i want to know a little bit about the person's life this is what true mediumship is or mental mediumship, is when that person is giving that kind of factual information. And obviously they can't, you know, medium can't always cross the T's and dot the I's, but they're giving that kind of information. Once that information has been established and you've got quite a healthy flow going between yourself, the communicator, the sitter, and the sitter is giving you dominantly yeses, I do understand what you're saying, then quite often the communicator will turn it into a form of guidance and may, or this is how I work anyway, will guide the person into the future. It may not be about giving these 
predictions of this is going to happen, but it will give the person insight as to perhaps where they potentially could be going. But my golden rule is never take the responsibility away from the person that you're giving the message to. So my rule is I'm not saying you will do this, you will do that. And that's where I slap my students on the wrist when they turn around and say, oh, you're going to do this. You need to go to the gym or you need to go and buy a new car. No, it's like, you know, I'm, you know, your mum's here and she's telling me that she's aware that um, you've just been walking around the gym or you're, you're wanting to sign up for the gym. Would you understand this? And they're going, yes. Hopefully it proves that perhaps their mum is, is around them and she's aware of this. But I'm, yeah. I'm not saying your mum's telling you you've got to sign up at the gym. No, but she, you're actually getting a message or you're getting a, um, a thought or something uh, from from the mum that, that's actually telepathically in touch with that with the son or, or whatever. And, and um, she knows that he's thinking about doing something sure. like that, which I find sure. fine. I can accept that, but I can't accept... You're going to buy yourself a blue Pontiac next week. <laughs> Again, I mean, a, a lot of it, Richard, is is in the wording. So it might be, um, let's say, oh, I'm talking to a man. I've, I've got, um, um, you know, your dad here. And he's, again, he's, he's saying that you've been um, having conversations about buying a new car. I'm useless at cars. So, um, you know, I may get the hint of what the vehicle is, but, you know, I might say he's been talking about you buying a new car. He's aware of you sort of looking. Would you understand this? I'm hoping that the person's going to say yes. Um, I understand that. In other words, it's in their thoughts. It's in their psyche. They are are thinking about buying a new car. Um, Yes, and I can can go with that one. Absolutely. It, as I say, it's the it's the soothsayers that bother me. The people that are you know trying to um, predict the future. Um, don't go down that road tonight on your way home, and you know that sort of thing. Um, although then again, is it now? What, what about that, Paul? What about you know? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever you do, don't drive down the same road home tonight because a lorry's going to run into you. What, what's that all about? <laughs> Well, again, I mean, you know, Richard, for example, I know some fantastic tarot card readers um, Mm -hmm, that aren't able to perhaps communicate with um, people in the same way that I can, but are able to give these wonderful um, predictions. Um, But again, it's not as if they are going around and saying, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, there's a bolt of lightning going to strike you down and putting the fear of God into people. They're doing it in a professional way. They're doing it in a way that is guiding the person. So no matter how bad you could perceive the news to be, they are preparing and guiding the person to take them forward. And that's part of the job is not to scare the living daylights out of people, but try and guide them, support them and give them tools where they can actually go and deal with the problem. Uh, if you're following I, what I'm saying. I am very much so. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's clearing things up for me a bit as well. Cause so, I, say, I, I have a pro- always had a problem with, I can understand you talking to someone that is, was once alive and is from the past and can tell you things from the past, but I've always had problems with spirits being able to tell you things from the future. 
Well, it depends on, you know, I mean, there is a theory that all time happened at once. And oh, yeah. Everything's happened. And so basically you're tapping into the, the future, which has already happened. So it's not, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, but I mean, we really don't know. But, but Paul, what, I mean, as far as, you know, I know you do. Uh, I, I was looking at your website, which is pretty, uh, it's uh, Paul Cecil. No. Paul Cecil. I know you say. It's just changed from .uk to .com. Okay. And I noticed one thing on there you had was the Psychic Seance Supper. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what, what is that, Paul? Um, what we did was just, just very quickly, um, just very local to where I am in Portsmouth, there is a um, public house, and it's... Um, there's always been a property on the land for somewhere around about 500 years. Mm -hmm. And some friends of mine took the pub over and they started having um, encounters in there. So they asked me to come in and it was a great atmosphere to investigate. So I started doing small little investigations in there. Um, so um, because it was so popular, um, what I, what I'm, all I'm doing is just kind of varying the themes a little bit, just to make it a little bit more interesting. So this one particular time, so the whole event was people came, sat down with us. I did a little talk, um, you know, on on the subject of the paranormal, mm -hmm. um, ghosts, this kind of thing, and um, they had something to eat with me. Then we went off and did a little investigation around the um, pub once the pub had closed. And then everybody came back and we got into a circle and we just did um, a seance um, okay. to see who we could connect with. Could we connect with anybody um, associated to do with the pub, the site, the land, that kind of thing, and to see what uh -huh. kind of factual information people could bring forward. Uh, that sounds really intriguing, but I mean, you're mostly you're not known for your paranormal work. You're more known for uh, connecting with uh, your, for instance, you do readings and that type of thing, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yes, yep. I mean, I do do um, the paranormal work, but I'm not a paranormal medium. I'm more known as a um, spiritual medium, right? And that's and, mostly how I work. And I think that there is. You know, a difference. Uh, I think it's actually kind of a huge difference in a way, because you're opening more up to like a particular client or something. You're you're trying to get uh, uh, messages uh, for that particular person versus, like, for instance, a group that could be, you know, anything coming in. And you're really investigating a place of the spirits that inhabit a place. So it, sure. it is kind of different, correct? In a, in a way. It it is, yeah. I mean, obviously, what I do in the first instance for any for any spiritual medium, uh, it's it's very personal to the person that we're speaking to. Even when we're doing a demonstration, and I did a demonstration not so long ago, and I did a little questions and answers, and one woman put her hand up and said, um, "I hope you don't mind me asking this. She said, I'm not saying this at you, but she said, why is it that when you sit in the audience, does some of it seem very sort of insignificant and vague. And I said, I explained to her, I said, the reason why this can sometimes appear is I said, it's not your message. I said, you're listening to somebody else's message. 
you're listening to somebody else's relatives coming forward and these are people that you probably don't know so it's totally meaningful to you so whilst i might be turning around and saying your mum's showing me tons and tons of the empty dvd boxes i'm just making this off the top of my head yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and the, maybe the person i'm talking to is smiling and going yeah yeah i know exactly what you're saying i know exactly what you're saying to you that's totally meaningless and very trivial but to the person because it's so personal to the person that i'm speaking to you know it may be that the person that is in the spirit world you know just may have had literally hundreds and hundreds of these empty dvd boxes no dvds in them and just collected them for some reason and for them that may have been evidence but for the person listening inwards it's totally meaningless. Does that make sense, Richard? Yes. Of course it does. Absolutely. I agree. Yep. Yep. Absolutely right. Um, and again, the whole thing know, is, um, how can I put it? Um, I, I'm fascinated by the whole business of mediumship and everything else, but I, I just want, I want, but like all aspects of the paranormal or correlate, what you will, I just want to know more. You know, I just want to learn more about it, and and hopefully in in, in part two, if you if you, I hope you'll be hanging hanging around Paul for a bit longer. I've got one or two questions to ask you about things that yep, actually yep, happened to me around. on Saturday sure. night. Oh really? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm start. How long have we got, Ron? Before before the break? Uh, I think we got about three or four minutes here. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because I, I mean, Ron knows this, and, and the world knows this. You know, I, I don't profess to be in any way um, mediumistic, psychic, uh, or anything else. But I, I know full well that we all we all have that ability, uh, in the same way as we all have the ability to play the piano. But some of us will never become a concert pianist. It's as simple as that, isn't it? So yeah, it's there, isn't it, Paul? In every in every every living person. Absolutely. I mean, Richard, you know. I've met you, you know, a few times now, and <laughs> you've struck me as, whilst, yes, very, very grounded, very down-to-earth, very practical man, you're also highly intuitive. I'm not going to say that you're mediumistic or psychic or anything like that. I'm going to leave it on the lines of highly intuitive. So, right. yes, you're going to be very sensitive to be able to receive information outside of your normal senses. Maybe you're not always sure quite what you're picking up or how you're receiving it, but you are receiving. And just because of your sensitivity, you know, it makes you in tune more with your environment. I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Because I actually say, and Ron's heard me say this, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not mediumistic, I'm not psychic, I'm not sensitive in any way. But I, I think sensitive is, is, is something slightly different and I think perhaps being as, as I was or am branded historian and what have you that I tend to have a sensitivity to the subject when I'm investigating I research them I've looked them up I, I, I believe before I go to the location that I almost know them yeah really yeah it can, it can yeah. sometimes be that, that way that you know the impressions um, you know, come, can come in quite strongly. And if you are very sensitive to receiving those impressions, you can almost feel those personalities almost taking over you sometimes. It's almost yeah. as if you yeah. know yeah. them. <laughs> you know, I'm almost sort of, you know, not, not wanting to admit this, if you know what I mean, <laughs> because I'm just so not, you know, not in any way um, 
switched on or tuned in into it. But but the, the the longer I go on, and Ron and I said this last week, I think you know, the more we do, the more things tend to happen to us. Well, and I'm going to have, we... have you hold that thought, Richard, because we're going to have to take a break right now. You're listening to okay. Chronicles International it. with Richard Felix and Ron Kolick and our very special guest, Paul Cicel. Oh, Good morning. Good morning. Did I really? You wow. did. <laughs> On uh, 2GNet, uh, Ghost Channel, Pararex, and beyond. And we'll be right back after the following messages on 2GNet. Welcome to Toginet. Radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Felix, the ghost finder general himself, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick on Tojinet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So anyway, if anybody does have a question, they can certainly join us in the Pararex or the Tojinet chat room, or they can call 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869. So there you go. And we're talking with Paul. Oh, God, I'll never get it twice in a row. Cicel. <laughs> yes, correct. Oh, damn, so good. <laughs> So, <laughs> and anyways, uh, speaking about cemetery trippings, uh, we will have a new episode of cemetery tripping at the end of the show. So, anyways, Paul, um, I, once again, uh, you you do uh, readings as well. Uh, if somebody wanted to sign up for a reading or or find more information out, uh, how could they do that? 
And, it, and um, you do, you most, do group, most people group. find me um, via my website or um, on Facebook, actually. Okay. And, uh, okay. And, so they, or, yeah, okay, you, just, normally people just message me or, you know, go into the, go into the uh, contact page on my website and um, just send me a message. And, and his name is spelled P-A-U-L-C-I-S-S-E-L-L. That's correct. Okay. Richard, still with us? Of course, I'm still with you. <laughs> I thought you got swallowed, yeah, swallowed up by, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, I'm still here. So, yeah, um, what was I going to say? Um, well, you know what happened to me at um, uh, Little Bighorn, I was going to say, then, at, at Gettysburg, and mm -hmm. there was me all emotional and dressed up on the, you know, as a Union soldier at uh, uh, Little Round Top, and, you know, pretty sure something happened to me, certainly. from, And, and I just feel that, you know, every now and then these things... These things happen now, Paul. You, you're, you're, because I mean, yeah. Now I need to know more. You're very much into Victorian mediumship, are you not? And uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Um, yes. Um, it's not. It's not a speciality of mine. But obviously, one thing I like to do, being a medium, I don't just like to know about what I'm doing. Um, I yep. like to know a little bit, or as much as I possibly can, about the history of the medium. So the old style mediums and where it came from, this kind of thing. So. And of yes. course, you did an um, event, I believe, down in Portsmouth uh, to, uh, with with Kieran, I believe, was it not, to do that, with Conan Doyle? That's, that's right. Yet yeah, with um, Kieran O'Keefe and um, Nori Miles was involved in that as well. And um, we was approached by um, Portsmouth City Council because um, they were putting on a week long event um, to commemorate um, all aspects of his work, and yeah. we was invited to come along and put an event on. So. It started off with just being a talk on mediumship, and it suddenly progressed into um, much more than that. Really? And because he was a, a well-known, a great believer, of course, not only in spiritualism, but fairies as well, wasn't he? He was, yes. Yes. But... I mean, he, was a, he was a great <laughs> he, I mean, he had, Basically, it was the time of the end of the, um, oh gosh, the First World War. Um, I believe he'd lost a son. Um, yeah, that's right. Many other members of the family had he not. Um, yeah, and wanted to know, get like, in touch with like them. So many, and so many thousands of people did, didn't they? Then, yeah, absolutely. And you know, they they were looking. They were all looking for something. They were looking for something to say that you know their their loved ones continued somewhere. So yes, they were yeah. turning to the mediums and um, asking for help. Yeah, and he re he would, I mean he became a member of the of the Ghost Club, I believe. And yeah. was a great, great believer. A friend of Houdini as well, wasn't he? He was, yes. Although they did have a massive falling out, both publicly and privately, over the matter. Really? Because I think, am I right that actually uh, Conan Doyle actually believed in Houdini's spiritualism more than Houdini did himself? <laughs> yes, he did, actually. Uh, uh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, everybody thinks that, that Houdini was totally anti-spiritualism, but it's not true. I mean, first of all, he really wanted to believe in it because he had lost his mother and he was always close to his mother. And second of all, he initially believed in it, but he ran into some, basically, some fake psychics. I mean, they were yes. doing cheap power trips. And so he became disillusioned, not so much with the spiritualists, the, the spiritual uh, 
nihilistic idea itself, but the people who were doing it, uh, he believed in it. And, and in fact, when he, he died, of course, he always uh, wanted, he said, if anybody could come back, I, I would certainly do it. But he was, he believed in spiritualism. He believed in an afterlife. He just uh, didn't believe the frauds. That's what he didn't believe in. Oh, that makes two of us. <laughs> and I think the Paul would say three of us. It's, you know, it's, I guess it's an area. But, you know, when people often talk about um, fraudulent mediumship, I say it like this. It's, you know, it's fallen into every, the same as every profession. You know, we, you know, you hear people's kind of, of you know, fake mediums and oh, this, that, and other. But just think about how many sort of tradesmen are actually out there who rip well people off for exactly. thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I say bankers, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Financial advisors, I'll keep going. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the trouble is, you see, you're back, back to the same old story. See, they've had a bad press, and so everyone thinks, especially in this country, you know, oh, well, there's no such thing there. And, and the trouble is, you see, everyone's branded the same, and it's, it's so wrong. It really is so wrong. So, talking about Victorians and, and, and what have you, I was at this um, um, museum on, on the, 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 the Saturday night, which I'd never been to in my life before, and I'm, I'm into um, the Charge of the Light Brigade, um, which was a, a, a great disaster, a bit like Custer's Last Stand, uh, but it was in the Crimea, obviously, in 1854, and it's been something, it's been a passion of mine all of my life. Uh, and I went along, and the, the regimental museum was there of one of the regiments that took part. There were five regiments took part, but one of these was called the 13th Light Dragoons. And I was obviously in my element, and I asked the group if they'd indulge me during the night, because we weren't, we weren't looking for ghosts of, of the Light Brigade or, 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 or soldiers that were there. There was no, no reports of anything like that happening whatsoever. But we went into the regimental museum, and I'd actually got with me... Um, a small piece of, uh, it's called grape shot canister, which was fired out of a cannon that was actually dug up off the battlefield at Balaclava, where the Charge of the Light Brigade was fired at them. And I also Ooh. got a recording of a guy that was in the Charge of the Light Brigade in 1890 playing the Balaclava bugle. And I, I did these and I did a seance, and we got a guy came through who'd actually been, been killed during the Charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, a Captain John Oldham, who'd led the regiment, was killed as they got to the guns, and he actually told us. Now, I didn't. I, although I'm into this in a big way, I didn't know this. To, he told us during the the glass um, divination that we were doing that the reason that he was still around was because he ha he had nowhere to go because he had no grave. His body was never found. And I've actually looked that up because that's my job, you know. I've got, mm -hmm. And it's true. Captain John Oldham actually was, was killed beforehand as, the, as they reached the, the guns, uh, blown to pieces, and no known grave. And I tell you something, I've, I've never been so emotional in all my life. But, but, Paul, tell me something. Why would he come through in the regimental museum in Yorkshire when he was killed and had no known grave in the Crimea, which is in the Ukraine? Again, it's you've. I mean, Richard, you, you had the artifacts, yes, from that yeah. period. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was it me? Yeah. Was it? I don't know. I mean, was I there? I don't know. Why have I got this fascination in the whole damn thing? 
Well, I mean, just kind of just sidetracking slightly, what makes a good actor, what makes an actor believable is that the fact that when they play a part, they're able to get into, so into the character, they take on yeah. that personality. So they no longer become the person that we know them for, but they become that personality. And that what, that what, I guess that's what puts them on the A list, as opposed to okay. the, maybe the B or the C or the D list. Yes, indeed. So where yeah. I'm kind of going with all of this, so you're walking into an environment where you are looking for this particular character and you are surrounded by those artifacts of that period. Yes. And so, yeah. again, with your own sensitivity, you are getting into that character. You are yeah, but connected I wasn't, with that period. Sorry, sorry, I wasn't looking for him. I, I, I was just... It, it was in a vain hope that perhaps some, you know, something might happen, but why should it, if you know what I mean? Because, because, yeah. because what? Because yeah. Mm, yeah, there were artifacts there, but I, I didn't know that, I, that Captain John Oldham was going to come through, um, and I didn't know that this guy had actually got no known grave, which gives me a bit more proof of why he's still around. In other words, he's not laid to rest, uh, and he's still around. But uh, what? what why? Why? How can he come through? Was it me? You know, did I bring no. him through? I don't know. Even though you're saying you wasn't actually looking for this person, right. you was playing the part. You was you was there in the atmosphere, the energy, the residual energy. You yeah, were yeah, surrounded yeah. by memories. And so yep. naturally, you're going to connect to the memories of perhaps somebody that would have been associated with um, yep. that time period. Right. And right. obviously that's what happened. You connected with that person and um, you got evidence from that. Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely unbelievable. Um, but uh, no, the other thing I must tell you, of course, is that, that during the, the seance, or call it what you will, oh, at least four times... I took my finger off the glass because uh -huh. I, I and I always do uh, because basically I, I, I like to say to people you do realise that that the the only person to gain from this glass moving is me mm -hmm. because I want you to have a good time and I don't want the yeah. glass to be okay. to be you, know, you see where I'm coming from and and, and that's yeah. why I, I I take my finger off and the glass was still going when my finger wasn't on it still still giving us answers. Um, uh -huh. Which again, uh, not only blew my mind, but blew the mind of the guys that were around the around the glass doing it with me. Sure, sure. But it wasn't so just, just the nervous energy from me, if you know what I mean. No, so again, I mean, not just you, but all of you are in. You're in that. It's like it's like jumping back in time. You're connecting with a period in time, aren't you? And yeah. possibly sort of some the likes of Kieran O'Keefe could probably answer this better than I can, but you're jumping into that time period and you're being consumed by those thoughts, those memories, those energies, and yeah. you're encouraging all of that to come forward. Yeah, which of course so is in a so, way, so much you're, for me, you're becoming you know an actor. I mean? But I just found it amazing that it would history. happen there. Yes, and that's me. That's what I'm, I'm obviously into in, 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 in a great deal, great depth. But, I mean, at the end of it, I mean, everyone was, they were, they were gobsmacked, to be honest with you. And there was one guy who, who was with me, he was a 
not a disbeliever, I wouldn't say, but he was he was a chap come along with his wife. He was in the Royal Air Force for many, many years. And he, he before, as the seance finished and we stood up, he actually grabbed hold of my hand and shook my hand because <laughs> he was uh-huh. so blown away with it, basically. Yeah. As well, I was. Let, let me ask you this, Paul. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, when I started a show about uh, a lot of the Brits poo pooing of a lot of the uh, scientific, well, not some of the methods uh, that the Americans use. But I, I noticed that a lot of, when I do my ghost hunting events, and it seems like it's the old methods, like the glass swirl and the uh, uh, you know uh, d- dowsing uh, dowsing rods or, or uh, Ouija board that, that seem to have the most impact on uh, the participants, rather than you know an EMF meter or, or a temperature or a thermal sensor or, or whatever. I mean. It, IAC camera, whatever they just—it seems to be those old methods seem to have more impact on the uh, the participants. Why? Why do you think that is, Paul? Because we have more an association with those kind of tools, don't we? Um, so, for example, if you was going out and digging up your garden, um, you wouldn't necessarily use a spoon; you'd mm-hmm. use a spade. So you'd have more of a connection with the spade rather than using a spoon. Do you, do you see where I'm kind of coming from? Right. It's because it's familiarity. We connect with those kind of tools. We connect that that is, we believe in the use of the tool. So it's almost our own belief, our own power is giving life to the tool and giving it its own ability, if you like. Mm. That's why with a, you know, um, you know, you know, a camera or, or or something else. You know, you haven't got the same connection with it as you do, perhaps the spirit board or the glass or something like that. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, I mean, let me ask you this, Paul. I mean, you've been doing this for how long now? Oh, uh, about fifteen years. Okay, about fifteen years. When a client comes to you, yeah, professionally. What is? What is it that they really want, and, and what is the biggest need of a, a person or, or, or a client that comes to, to see you? God, I have to admit that everybody that comes to see me is, well, in the first instance, when they come and see me, they're actually looking for the evidence of survival. They, they want to connect. So I guess the main draw is they're looking for their loved ones. Okay. And sometimes it's not like they're looking for, they haven't got problems in their life or they're not looking to solve problems. They just want to kind of connect with their loved ones and to make sure that they're there, they're okay. But I guess ultimately one of the things I do recognize is it's all to do with the healing aspect. And this is what happens in a lot of my readings. It's bridging a connection between the spirit world and the physical world. And it's how the two worlds help to heal each other. And I see that an enormous amount of within the readings, whereas the okay. physical world and the spiritual world just come to connect together to heal. You know, not only just the person in the physical plane, but also the person in the spiritual plane as well. You know, maybe okay. something hasn't 
been said, done, or maybe there was bad blood between the two people. Maybe situations were unable to be resolved before one person passed over to the spirit world. And they'll use these opportunities to come forward and try to try to strike up conversations and to resolve issues. Unfinished business sometimes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, I find it interesting, and I think this is true of most good mediums, is that they're almost like counselors. I know that in the United States, a lot of mediums are actually counselors as well. And and so, I mean, really, that's what you're doing. Maybe it's grief counseling, uh, but it's looking to the past to move ahead. So it it is that blend of the the past to... Yeah, it's it's that fine line. And one of the things I tell all of my students is if you put yourself out there as a medium, you are a medium and you are somebody who connects with the spirit world. You are not a grief counsellor. You are not a counsellor of any shape or form. And again, you know, I make it quite clear, you know, that, you know, I don't put myself out there as such. And if somebody is looking for that, you know, in the first instance, I'll always try to guide them to the appropriate direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or maybe they've come and had a reading with me, and I've realised that there's more that they need than I could possibly give them within my training, and so I always send them. Um, well, I, I know you're probably saying that to protect your your butt legally, but I mean, in what you do, you really are that. And uh, you know, maybe you don't call it that, but I mean, if you're you're helping people. Uh, uh, to to come to grips with something, I think it, it's basically that. I mean, I I really think it is. And even if you can't say that, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that I can't. It's not that I can't say that. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of trying to trying to make it clear, you know. And this is one of the things that you know, it's no good me saying one thing and telling my students to do another thing. Good, for good. example, yeah. is that. You know, you have to gauge every situation as it presents itself. Right. Uh, and if I get to the point where I can't, where I'm, I'm talking to my client and I really do realize that they need a lot more than I could potentially give them from making that contact with right. a relative, then, you know, I'll sit down and talk to them afterwards and say, is there another direction that we can take you in? Um, you know, but you know, ultimately the decision is down to them. Right. I understand that now. Yeah, I, I see what you're coming with that, right? It, it, but I know that even Richard and myself, a lot of times we are the same thing. We are grief counselors in a, in a way, Richard, don't you think so? People yes, come definitely. to us. People come I, to us. I mean, prime, yeah. prime example, Ron, very quick. A um, few, few weeks ago, a young lady um, in her 20s, early 20s, showed me a photograph um, of, of her house, and she saw this... this um, what she believed to be something like an orb that was more than an orb, to be honest with you, in the window, the upstairs bedroom window of the house. And her dad had passed away about four months earlier. And and she said, I I, I feel that I think it's my dad. What do you think? And I said... I, I really, I really don't know. I'll be honest with you. I'm the, for me, the jaw is out on orbs. I'm not sure. I, I certainly see something there. But I said, I tell you what. If if you want to believe that's your dad, then do so, because how wonderful it is to think that your dad's still there, peering out of the window. And and if she, you know, if she got comfort and solace out of of believing that 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 was her dad, that was still in the house or had come back to see her, then I think that was was great. 
And I was mm-hmm. the last one on Earth to say, yeah, it's just an orb, it's a particle of dust or anything else. Um, because she wanted to believe it. And there's nothing wrong in that, mm-hmm. in my opinion. No, you're absolutely right, Richard. I mean, you know, what right did you have to take that belief away from her if it gave her a comfort to perhaps maybe not understand fully, but maybe to perhaps for her to believe that maybe her father was communicating in that way, then, and it gave her comfort without harming her, then, yeah. Exactly. There was no harm whatsoever in in her belief in in this picture, which she'll she'll treasure. She'll keep it, and, and... and so be it. Yep, I yeah, agree I mean, 100%. This is, this, is all, uh, this is one of those areas, this is one of those subjects that is always, you know, for the next thousand years, is going to be surrounded by controversy. Absolutely. It's so, same with UFOs, you know, one of those subjects. Mm-hmm. The unknown, and we love it, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. People are fascinated. Whether they believe in it or not, they are fascinated by it. Yeah. You're so right there, Paul, because non-believers, skeptics, I mean, I'm sure you get, um, probably don't, probably don't get as many uh, non-believers or skeptics coming along as I do, because obviously I do events, ghost walks, events, and often, frequently, the, the, the old man comes along with a wife, because we've got a bar and we do oh, a couple yes. of pubs on the way around, and they, yeah. come, they enjoy themselves. But, but they yeah. still are as fascinated by the whole Absolutely. damn thing. The believer. I, I once, um, very quickly, I was in um, my friend's bar, and... Um, I was minding my own business, and this guy walked over to me with a baseball bat in his hand. And he was quite intimidating, and I wasn't scared of him, but he just walked over and he did the usual sort of threatening behaviour of sort of whacking the baseball bat in the palm of his hand, and he said, I've just heard you're a medium. And I said, and... The problem is there, what, for you? He said, my wife goes to these psychics all the time. He said, I think it's a load of crap. I don't believe in it. I never have believed in it. She's wasting her time, wasting her money. And he said, I think the whole thing is absolute rubbish. And I said, you're absolutely right. And he kind of, his, his draw, <laughs> draw drops to the floor, because it was the last thing he was going to expect from me. And, but I was in. And he said, what makes you say it was rubbish? I said, well, I'm not saying it's rubbish. Two hours later, after he had bought all the drinks, he (laughs) walked out of the bar, yeah, seriously, it's a true story, shaking my hand and said, Paul, that is the best two hours of my life. And whilst I'm not still agreeing to my wife going to all these psychics, he said, you've certainly opened my mind to... A yeah. world that I did, well, he said, I was just closing my mind to, but now, he said, I'm walking out of this bar going, actually, maybe some of that could, could be actually happening. And he went from a very threatening personality to very placid, very calm, very relaxed man with a big smile on his face. And I went home drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Paul, it's behind the bar, obviously. Paul, I hate to tell you this, but it's time to wrap it up. We want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. My pleasure anytime. And uh, once again, would you give out your website so I don't mess up your name again? Yeah, sure. It's www.paulcissell.com. And that's P-A-U-L-C-I-S-S-E-L-L, correct? That's correct, yeah, absolutely. Paul, thank you so much. And, uh, More than welcome, uh, Ron, thank you. Okay. It's been wonderful to talk to you again, Paul. Hope to see you soon, yeah, mate. Great, Richard. Lovely to chat to you, as always. Nice right. to see you.
Bye-bye. Okay. Thank and you very much for having me on the show again, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. And now another episode of Cemetery Tripping. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where each week I will feature a different cemetery that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today we are visiting Hope Cemetery in Worcester, Mass. Dedicated in 1852, it is a beautiful garden-style cemetery, born of the rural cemetery movement. It is a city-owned cemetery, and among its many notable grave sites are those of Revolutionary War hero Captain Peter Slater of the Boston Tea Party, abolitionists and early feminists Abby Kelly Foster and Eli Thayer, poet Elizabeth Bishop, and rocket pioneer Robert Goddard. As early as the late 1840s, the need for a new civic cemetery was under discussion as older burial grounds either filled up or fell victim to neglect. Hope Cemetery replaced as many as six earlier burial grounds that were overwhelmed by the growing city. By the end of the century, remains from Mechanic Street, Tatman, and Pine Meadow cemeteries were reinterred at Hope, and in the 1960s, graves were moved here from Worcester Common. In the style of most garden cemeteries, the roads and paths are named for the beautiful trees, bushes, and flowers that flourish here. There are wonderful mausoleums, monuments, and statuary at every turn. Although not as expansive as Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Hope has many beautiful and inspirational markers which are amazing works of art. I would like to talk about one piece of statuary in particular, which marks the plot of Ivor Johnson and his family. Ivor arrived in Worcester from his native Norway in 1863 at the age of 22 and immediately set to work as a gunsmith. By 1885, he was also manufacturing bicycles and owned the Ivor Johnson Arms and Cycle Works. The beautiful monument of a woman and child, attributed to sculptor Andrew O'Connor Sr., was erected following Johnson's death by his widow Mary. Their daughter Nettie died in 1874 at the age of five. This is a stunning and moving monument that I urge you to seek out if you visit. Hope Cemetery is situated near the top of Webster Street in Worcester and occupies approximately 168 acres of rolling land, and there's plenty of room to park along the cemetery roads. In 1998, Hope Cemetery was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. I hope you have the opportunity to plan a trip to this lovely cemetery. And we are back. I, I meant to tell you, Richard, you know, uh, this is the 150th anniversary of the Civil War here in the States. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah, and we've got a lot of things that are going on. Uh, I just watched a fantastic uh, documentary on the Battle of Gettysburg uh, on on Ghost, uh, on the uh, History Channel International, which was... Uh, really? Yeah, it was great. But one of the cool things, and we touched about this a little bit with Paul before, is um, they were so afraid of not having a proper burial and, and not having their body identified that they used to, this is before dog tags, uh, they used to sew their names into the uniforms. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, and there are there are thousands and thousands of un, uh, what's the word, unidentified bodies from the Civil Isn't War. It? Yeah, it's, Isn't it's, it? it's really sad. And there's it's actually... Terrible. There was there was one really uh, interesting case that they talked about in this documentary where uh, a northerner uh, 
he was uh, he died and but he, he he bled out so he had a like a lithograph uh, a glass plated thing or tin plated of his three children and uh, they found his body afterwards and they couldn't identify him so the uh, papers newspapers of the country actually took this picture and printed it all over the the country and they were. Builder. Yep, his children were able to identify the oh, the boss. His wife did so. And yeah, so he is at rest. He is at rest. Made him to rest. This is right. so important, as I've said so often with this ghost business. You know, this phrase laid, laid to rest. Well, there's I mean, another show down the tube, there, young man. Ronald, that was most enjoyable. Most enjoyable. All right. So, uh, anything you want to add before we hit the roads running? Anything I want to add? I don't think I do actually. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you out with that recording of the balaclava bugle sounding the charge of the light brigade i love it let her rip this was a cylinder done in 1890 are you ready get it go quick too late never mind we'll do it next week my friend and we will see you bye bye yep bye bye